The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to A Good Football Show's Week 9 recap podcast my name is pat crane and in just a few moments here i'm going to be joined by everyone who covered the games for us this week at nbc sports edge diving into that additional context beyond the box score helping us figure out things like guys who are in the game during garbage time different types of backfield splits we need to be looking out for different types of injuries guys who missed some time due to injury some big plays that were missed some big plays that were called back All of that really interesting and useful type of stuff for fantasy football going forward. Let's get to the games. The Ravens defeated the Vikings 34-31 in a game where Lamar Jackson became the first quarterback in NFL history to have multiple games with three-plus passing touchdowns and 100 rushing yards. He did that as well in Week 16 versus the Browns in 2019. Denny Carter, Lamar Jackson got his team to win here. He did. He did everything uh, today. Uh, three touchdowns, like you said, through the air. There was one touchdown dropped, thirty-yarder dropped by Mark Andrews in the first quarter. Uh, one of many dropped touchdowns uh, that I've seen, just just anecdotally watching Ravens games uh, this season. And uh, it and happened last again. Season. It, right, it happened again with Andrews. Um, but uh, you know, Jackson got it done through the air on the ground. He 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 is the Ravens primary running back you know um not no explosive plays his long rush on the day against the vikings was only 12 yards it was not like he was ripping off 30 40 yarders uh but you know every single time he left the pocket it was six seven eight nine yards and he ended up with 120 he missed out on a rushing touchdown by about three inches uh in the second half at at which point Le'Veon bell came in and vultured the touchdown so really uh, it could have been an even bigger day uh, statistically and fantasy-wise for Lamar. What about the actual running backs? You mentioned Bell got a touchdown here. Devonta Freeman led the way in terms of you know the the attempts with 13. He went for 79 yards. Bell right behind with 11 for 48. I was wondering if maybe coming out of the bye, Tyson Williams would get more involved. Seems like he got a lot less involved. Yeah, Tyson is just not going to be a thing. I, I've come to grips with it. I don't like it, um, but it, it looks like Devonta Freeman is going to be the lead back. Now, uh, it, it split down. It split up like this. Uh, Freeman had 13 carries for 79 yards. 
with a long of, of 19 on the day. Le'Veon Bell had 11 for 48 and, and a touchdown. So he got the short touchdown. Freeman caught a short touchdown in the first half from Lamar. Um, I do think that they like Le'Veon as the goal line back, but that doesn't really say much considering Lamar Jackson's involvement at the goal line. Uh, so uh, I, I would say that if if you're going to start a Baltimore running back and that you have to be pretty desperate to do that, I think it has to be Freeman, who actually didn't look too bad. I mean, still looked a little washed, but he had a little wiggle, a little burst. Like I said, 79 yards on 13 carries. He had a 20-yard rush somewhere in there in the second half. So, uh, you know, n- you know, next week, uh, the Ravens get the Dolphins. They should see tons of positive game script. I think, you know, a guy like Freeman could see 15 carries in that game. Does this set up at all similarly to what we were seeing from the 2019 Bills where Freeman's maybe dusty Devin Singletary and <laughs> Bell is dusty Zach Moss? I, I think that that is a that is a good corollary, and and okay. uh, uh, some weeks these two are going to combine for almost no production, you know. And and if the game unfolds that way, the the Ravens' passing game is really a fun to watch, but b voluminous lately, you know, so much passing in that offense. It's weird to see after two and a half, three seasons of of a really you know run heavy ground based attack. With Lamar Jackson, it's not. It's just not the case right now. But yeah, as a flex option, I I think Freeman and then Bell. I think I maybe said 2019 there, and if I did, it's because it always feels like the year is yeah. 2020. So when I think back a year, it must be 2019. But yeah, right. <laughs> yeah I, I meant the 2020 Bills. If that's not what I said, let's move to uh, to the passing game here. Um, yeah. You mentioned off air Rashad Bateman could have had a much bigger day. He had a decent day here with 52 yards, five receptions on eight targets, but. Uh, talk to me about him. Yeah, uh, not a bad day, but really it looked like Rashad Bateman day, you know, just across the whole fantasy landscape. Er- early in the game, he got a deep target from Lamar. It was uh, pass a clear defensive pass interference. So the Ravens got the ball down deep, scored a touchdown. Uh, uh, on another play, about 30, 30 to 40 yards down uh, down the field, he got interfered with, interfered with again. So Bateman got some high value looks. Now Marquise Brown ended up leading the team with 12 targets. Mark Andrews saw 10 targets, but Bateman's role is real in this offense. And on a high volume day, like today, I think the Ravens ran 89 or 90 plays on offense, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, Bateman was in line to have a nice day. And I, I think we can be hopeful for him going forward. With Sammy Watkins coming back, I mean, how would do you think he would have fit into what you were saying? I mean, ba- Bateman seems like a like a much better option for the Ravens than Sammy Watkins. Although, you know, that doesn't really mean much <laughs> for you know for <laughs> for our purposes. We we want Bateman to get you know as many snaps as many routes as possible. But I think you know with Sammy Watkins' eventual return, we th- we kind of thought it might be this week. It wasn't. Um, that that could put kind of a cap on how much Bateman is used in this offense, uh, kind of the way we think Tyson, you know, should, at least I think Tyson should be used much more as a runner and, and he's not. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, Bateman, you know, I, I do think that the Ravens see Bateman as a key part of their offense. 
That's good to hear. Um, on the other side with the Vikings, I mean, talking about bigger days, Dalvin Cook had a nice day here with 17 rushes for 110 yards, but certainly could have been a bigger day. He did also add three receptions for 12 yards on three targets. He had a really long run, 60-yard run in the first quarter, just gashed the Ravens front seven. Um, it looked like it was going to be an 80-yard touchdown. Justin Jefferson had one of the funniest downfield blocks you'll ever see on that play, by the way. And uh, uh, Cook uh, basically didn't touch the ball, I don't believe, in the third quarter because of a long Baltimore drive in that quarter uh, that really just just killed the fantasy days for every Viking involved um, on, on a day that, you know, it looked like both guys on both sides of the ball were going to go off. Uh, you know, Cook ended up fine. You know, you're 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 going to take your 110 yards. Um, and then he had four receptions, I believe, uh, three receptions for 12 yards. So you'll take that. But yeah, I mean, like you were saying, it could have been bigger. He missed out on a touchdown. It was actually he had Cook had a touchdown that was called back on replay too. That's the touchdown he missed out on, right? Or was there another? Yeah, that was. Um, mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, and then Kirk Cousins, I believe, snuck that in following uh, yeah. the reversal. Uh, and then, what? How did the passing game go? You mentioned Justin Jefferson's block. He does get in the the end zone here, uh, three for sixty nine through the air. A lot of those coming on one fifty uh, yard touchdown mm-hmm. pass, I believe. Yes, uh, that was it. <laughs> that was it for Jefferson on the day, pretty much. He had 69 yards on the day, but only five targets, only three receptions. Adam Thielen somehow saved his fantasy. I mean, I don't even know if he saved it, but he salvaged something with a touchdown. He only had six yards today on seven targets. I caught two of those. So it was a really muted game for, for the Vikings. 17 completions for Kirk Cousins on the day they really didn't want to pass the ball. Like that was, that was very clear from the start. And I, and I, you know, the, the team's offensive coordinator came into the game saying we need to get Dalvin cook more involved. We need to feed him. He needs to be the centerpiece of our offense. And, and they stuck to their guns, you know, to give them credit, I guess, in that respect, because every third and short was just Dalvin cook up the middle against a nine man front, you know, and it never worked, but they kept trying it. And they didn't seem interested in, you know, matching the Ravens a uh, blow for blow in the passing attack. So it, therefore, Jeff- Jefferson and Thielen and Cousins numbers uh, were down on a day that I I think really it could they could have had an explosive day. Yeah, they they, they weren't quite embracing the shootout, I guess. No. Um, I think Adam Thielen maybe should get tight end eligibility. I feel like that'd be a creative way to uh, improve fantasy overall. It's kind of uh, coming to that, you know. I, 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 every time he scores a touchdown, I think of that. Uh, he can't keep getting away with this meme, you know. And and <laughs> because it's like hey, the guy scores, this guy scores every every week. Whether he has eight catches and a touchdown, whether he has two catches and a touchdown, he just it just happens, you know. He's uh, coming into today. Well, right as of now, after this game, he has six catches inside the 10 for four touchdowns that's pretty efficient wow yeah uh that is pretty efficient and then i'll mention just just to close things out here that actual tight end tyler conklin had a decent day he went four for five for 45 Mm -hmm. on seven targets let's move to uh the second game we covered another game we thought a while back might be a shootout but we lost aaron Rodgers for this game the chiefs defeat the packers 13 to 7 in a low scoring affair the chiefs have now 
scored just 36 points total in their last three <sighs> games. Yeah, it's it's very bleak. It's very bleak. And and in my post game blurb on Patrick Mahomes, I suggested that it might be time for for twelve team leagues for managers in twelve team leagues to consider high end streaming options over Mahomes. Oh and I God. know that sounds crazy, almost sacrilegious. I, I I feel I feel like I'm losing my mind saying it. But this is a guy who had four point five yards per attempt today. On, th- on 37 attempts, he had one touchdown, which was a little little bunny touchdown to Travis Kelsey in the first quarter. And that was it. That was it. You know, the, the this this very easy, easily replicated two, two deep defense, shell defense that teams are running out against the Chiefs, is apparently not beatable by Mahomes right now. And until it is, his fantasy floor and ceiling are going to be tremendously affected. To the point where I think you have to worry. You can't just say, oh, it's Mahomes. It's Mahomes. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's not doing it. This is three games in a row where he has not done it. I, I, I do think it's time to, to consider. I'm not saying you're, you're going with Trevor Simeon over, over Mahomes or anything. Unless I'm, I don't want people to misinterpret what I'm saying. But if yeah, there's you're like saying a, Taysom Hill is what you're saying. It, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean that that's I would I would seriously consider a Taysom Hill. I think it's a conversation we need to have. It's not a fun conversation, but it's one we have to have. <laughs> isn't this like the Lovey Smith offense or defense? Like, isn't this like a basic? How how is this how how has this not been tried before? Well, it, you know, uh, I guess the Bucks did it in the Super Bowl, right against uh, against the Chiefs and. And it's been all downhill since then, you know, and, and, and teams yeah. just do it. The Giants did it. Okay, this is, these are not world beater defenses, by the way. You know, the, the, yeah, that's true. The, the the Giants last week they they can barely move the ball against Giants. The Packers are kind of a middling offense. I mean, I'm sorry, defense. You you, you can't really call them dominant in any in any facet. And Mahomes couldn't do anything when when Mahomes had a, a game ceiling 13 yard pass completion to Tyreek Hill it was considered it was called by Joe Buck and Troy Aikman the play of the game a 13 yard reception I mean it's it's that dark right now for Kansas City Tyreek Hill's longest reception of the day was that 13 yarder he had four for 37 on 11 targets I mean one nice thing about Tyreek Hill Tyreek Hill's usage this year is that he is getting a higher target share but in you know normally we think in a Patrick Mahomes offense but that's that's not delivered on that promise over the last few weeks Travis Kelsey had five for 68 and a touchdown on eight targets uh really not too much else going on I mean even Miko Hartman who was third in targets had just three for 20 through the air Mahomes had 37 attempts so it wasn't like volume was the problem it, it really does seem like it was effectiveness uh Tyreek Hill is on pace for 191 targets this year from Patrick Mahomes. And we I cannot say definitively that he has like tons of upside because of the inefficiency with those targets and where those targets are going. Like these these little short targets, you know, he's being turned into Cole Beasley. Um oh, and, and it's yeah, it's tragic. It's tragic. Yeah. I, I, I don't have the answer. I, I wish I did because I would I would actually drive. In fairness to Tyreek Hill, Cole Beasley had eight for thirty three today. So I think that that's the <laughs> that's the worse. future. That's the future of Tyreek Hill. <laughs>
If I had the answer, I would drive to Kansas City tonight and tell them what to do. But I, I, I do not. As, as for Kelsey, you know, he was the lone bright spot in this disastrous day on offense. I mean, thirteen points. Anyway, uh, I, I, I do think you know, looking back, you know, his uh, Kelsey's Week Eight performance performance against the Giants, four catches on six targets for twenty-seven yards, is a little bit overblown. And I was, I was part of that. I, I, I blew that up a little bit. If you look back at his game logs. You know, week seven, he has seven catches on 12 targets. Week six, he had eight catches on 11 targets. The week before, he had 10 targets. So the volume is there. Like, you know, Travis Kelsey's, I think, is is going to be fine, uh, even as this this offense struggles mightily. Uh, so you're not you're you're not looking for high end tight end streamers. I, I want to be clear there. Um, but for for Mahomes, it's it's a different story. What about the backfield here? Derek Gore, uh, I believe, got banged up and may have exited the game. Um, Daryl Williams had 19 rushes to his three, um, but was the split kind of that definitive? Yeah, I mean, Gore looked effective against the Giants last week. He, again, looked effective at times this week. He only had three three carries. He also had a catch uh, on his lone target for six yards. Um I, I I would think that just pure rushing wise, I think Gore is probably their best option, including CEH uh, when he when he comes back. But yeah, he did get banged up. Uh, so Daryl Williams ends up with 19 carries for 70 yards, with a long rush of 11. Uh, he also had four targets, caught three of those for seven yards. So not much through the air. Um, but yeah, I mean Gore looks fine. I think Daryl Williams is clearly the RB one in that offense for as long as CEH is sidelined on the Packers side. I mean, there's not too much to take away from here. We're going to get Aaron Rodgers back pretty soon. We would think uh, probably next week. Um, so what, what can be taken away from the Packers? Uh, <laughs> let me see here. So um, my, my, my takeaway would be this uh, only Devonte Adams is usable in fantasy when and if Jordan love starts for the Packers. Now Rogers will probably probably be back next week against Seattle, but the best case scenario is that Rogers comes off the COVID list on Saturday. Okay. One day before, before the game, if he, you know, if he's symptomatic at all late in the week or into the weekend, he's not going to play. So we might, we, we could get a, a Jordan love second start, which is really unfortunate here, but Devonte Adams absolutely dominated targets, 14 targets. The next closest was Randall Cobb with five targets. It didn't amount to much. You know, Devonte Adams had 42 yards on six catches. Um, a couple close, you know, close ones down, downfield where, you know, he could have had a much bigger day, but that's the nature of, Jordan Love throwing, you know, balls where he's falling off his back foot, even when there there there's no pressure. You know, he's doing he's throwing like fadeaway jump balls to people. Even the one to Lazard, the touchdown that he threw to Lazard when Sorensen was in coverage on Lazard was was just this this ugly, you know, little loopy throw. Uh, man, it's it's bad. Jordan Love is truly truly bad. All right. Well, hopefully we don't have to watch him again next week. Yeah. Uh, any any takeaways on the backfield? AJ Dillon eight for forty six here. Aaron Jones twelve for fifty three. Um, they threw to to Dillon four times. Yeah. He went four for forty four. That's that's pretty nice. Um, Aaron Jones had two targets, did not get a catch. So 
What, what do you take away from the split there? Yeah, I, I it, it's curious because you know headed into this game, Aaron Jones had a fifteen percent target share. Uh, AJ Dillon had a five percent target share, and and Dillon out targets him, has four catches for forty four yards, like you said. Um, he equaled Aaron Jones's twelve touches on the day, so it's um, I think it is a little bit concerning if you're an Aaron Jones drafter and you were thinking that he's going to be on the on the right side of a timeshare. I think it's it's kind of starting to look like that might not be a great assumption. Uh, AJ Dillon now has a a pretty strong string of games as as the one B um, in in this offense. And the the offense and the running game looked and was much more effective when AJ Dillon was out there today. Mm-hmm. He had a long run of 15 yards. He had a uh, he had a catch of I'm sorry I'm, I'm uh, struggling to find it here. He had a catch of 21 yards. So th- those were like two of the two best plays in the entire day for the Green Bay offense. Beside the besides their touchdown. He was he was a more effective back than Jones against Kansas City. All right, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, Denny Carter, thanks so much. Thank you. The Falcons defeated the Saints twenty-seven to twenty-five on a game-winning drive from Matt Ryan, which is how the Falcons have gotten all four of their wins this year. Patrick Darty, how did this one go down? Well, it was more like a game-winning drive from the one true God, Cordero Patterson, who was lined up in the outside, running like a true wide receiver probably not getting enough respect from third round rookie cornerback Paulson Adebo and Cordero Patterson just blew right by him down the right sideline, hauled in a 64 yard catch, uh, gave him 126 yards receiving Cordero Patterson uh, by far his most of the season, his most receiving yards since 2013. That is how long Cordero Patterson has been being misused. That was like three presidents ago. Cordell Patterson had 141 receiving yards. He got to 126 today. Gave him to his most uh, yards from scrimmage of this remarkable comeback season for Cordero Patterson. And just highlighting him in fantasy, like he's getting home so many different ways. He didn't run well today at all. He had nine carries for like 14 yards. But then he compensates with six catches for 126 yards. And, you know, the weeks where he doesn't get the yards, and it seems like he's been getting touchdowns. And he's just being used in so many different ways making plays so many different ways that he is getting home every single week as like a top 18 running back. And, you know, a lot of weeks as a top 12, top 10 running back. And not to go on too long of a thing here, but then, you know, Matt Ryan has like rather quietly become quite a sensible, like top 18 fantasy quarterback. You know, this isn't like a, this isn't like an extravagant purchase you make where like, you, know, you go into the furniture store or whatever, and like that's like the one you get, like the really flashy one. This is like the real sensible sofa. Matt Stafford, no real ceiling. Not Matt, Matt Stafford, Matt Ryan, no real ceiling here, but basically a floor of 280, 280 yards, two touchdowns every week. He's had 300 yards in three of his past four games. I think he's only had more than two touchdowns one time all season, or maybe two. One of those day, times being Sunday where he got a rushing touchdown, which by the way, I've already made this joke a few times, but Demario Davis needs to turn in his gun and badge on the Saints because he got like juked out of his shoes by Matt Ryan, and that that can't be happening. That's tomorrow. not good. No. <laughs> yeah, Matt Ryan. You know he's not he's not the old couch. You're not going to get the chase section with with Matt Ryan, but he's a nice, no. <laughs> pretty solid. Uh, Patterson had nine rushes, which tied Mike Davis's nine rushes. 
He had six targets, which was behind Russell Gage with eight, Kyle Pitts with seven, but he did lead in receiving yards by quite a margin, 126. No other Falcons wide receiver over 100, and Russell Gage was next closest at 64. So just, I mean, you know, you kind of said it all with Patterson, but it is really remarkable the way he is in this true hybrid role, but not in kind of a bit role overall. He's like in a true hybrid role and the number one option. Yeah, I mean, I think this is – it's crazy. You know, we've been following football now for like over a decade where teams have been really committed to like the offensive weapon bit, like drafting those guys who are tweeners between receiver and running back, and they just kind of like never make it work. You know, it seems like it almost never works or like someone just fully commits to one position. Like this is like – I feel like the longest into a season someone's ever made like the true hybrid slasher role stick. And like kind of having the guy like doing different things every week. Like he's he's just doing something a little different every week. It really is remarkable. And it really does make you wonder like what in the world were these other coaching staffs doing with Cordero Patterson? And real quick, the rest of the Falcons receiver core, like order was restored a little bit. Russell Gage, you know, we were expecting to rack up cheap targets and it just hadn't been happening. And had some injury issues, but he he was finally drew away well ahead of Tajay Sharp. I think he nearly doubled up. Olamide Zacchaeus in targets, but Zacchaeus got two uh, end zone targets and converted both of them. So he had a much better fantasy day. Just so hard beyond Kyle Pitts and Cordero. Kyle Pitts, by the way, he had a big downfield drop on his very first target. He smoked Marshawn Lattimore and committed a bad drop. It was really disappointing. And then he beat Marshawn Lattimore again a few minutes later for like a 39-yard catch. But then the Saints did keep him in check the rest of the day. And that's a little something to monitor with Kyle Pitts without Calvin Ridley. Like some of that early season TJ Hawkinson syndrome, how's he going to fare with opposing defenses basically being able to throw everything they have at him? Well, maybe they shouldn't do that because that's how Cordell Patterson <laughs> yeah, beats that's, him. That's how, that's how, that's how Cordell yeah, gets loose and single-handedly puts a franchise on his back. He's 30 years old, by the way. That's, uh, I, I mean, Livia He's Bell's old enough 29. to be coming on this pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to hire him. <laughs> um, all right, let's move to the Saints side of this where we had Trevor Simeon, I thought maybe we'd get a split at quarterback. We really didn't, uh, at least in terms of the attempts, because Simeon only had uh, Simeon had 41 attempts here, and Taysom Hill had just two. Um, what did you see from uh, Simeon here and uh, the passing game? You know, not a whole lot, and it's kind of like more what you didn't see, which, like you alluded to, was not much Taysom Hill and two attempts from Taysom Hill. They were back-to-back plays in the fourth quarter, two nice completions. He Generated 33 yards in those two attempts, but they asked Sean Payton after the game, you know, why not keep him in longer? Like, see if he can get into rhythm a little more. And he said, even those two plays, was, that was like pre planned, basically like a pre planned look they wanted to get in there. And I kind of think maybe it was just because such a long layoff. You know, the guy with a concussion hasn't played since week five, maybe not wanting to put too much on his plate this week. I mean, that's just obviously me guessing. I have no idea if it's actually that, but was just very surprised. I mean, he hit two pass attempts. He only had one rush. He had zero targets. Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon, Simeon did fine, but he just was exactly what it, he was a journeyman quarterback with no weapons whatsoever at his disposal. You know, like how is the, like how in the world was this guy supposed to average more than six yards per attempt? He's at like six one, six two. There's just not a whole lot he can do with the supporting cast he had at his disposal. And I was just very very surprised to not see more Taysom. Taysom Hill, as we know, is uh, not a great pure passer. Probably the worst deep ball thrower in the NFL. 
But like, I didn't think it really made sense for Taysom to have so few snaps, so few touches. You said no weapons at his disposal. We did have Alvin Kamara, um, 13 that's rushes. A good, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> he had 13 rushes, 50 yards, and a touchdown, seven targets, uh, four receptions, and 54 yards. So at least, you know, the Saints offense, Saints game plan was running through Kamara. You know, he'd probably be better off if there was someone else besides a running back that, that could help move the offense along and a better quarterback. But uh, what did you make of Kamara's day? Well, the big takeaway with Kamara, it looked good. Uh, he was the leading receiver with 54 yards. He actually caught fewer passes than Mark Ingram, out caught five to four, but out gained him 51 24 through the air. And the big takeaway there was so Kamara had 17, to, he only out touched Mark Ingram 17 to 14. You know, this is a game that was close throughout, uh, you know, Saints trailing most of the game. So this wasn't like they're just giving Mark Ingram the ball in closeout mode or whatever. Uh, Kamara's 17 touches were second fewest of the season, his fewest since week two. And like, it seems like, so I mean, clearly he's going to be, lo- he's going to be seeding more touches to Mark Ingram than he was before when there was essentially like a blank spot behind him on the depth chart, Alvin Kamara. So like, that's real. Like that's a concern quote unquote, but as kind of like we keep using the phrase like high value touches, or at least I do uh, like all the high value touches are going to continue to go to Alvin Kamara. That was the case. He got the goal line carry. He's going to get targeted, you know, in the red zone. Um, so I, I don't really view it as a bad – like his, maybe the overall touch ceiling is going to come down a little for Alvin Kamara. Kamara, I can't ever settle on the pronunciation of this guy's name for some reason. Um, but I'm not worried at all about the really high value, you know, third down targets, goal line carries, that kind of thing. He's still going to be by far uh, the preferred option to Mark Ingram. Let's move on to uh, the second game that you had where the Patriots defeated the Panthers – 24 to 6. This game was Sam Darnold's sixth game this season with an interception, third game with multiple interceptions. Not surprising that Bill Belichick was able to figure out how to trip up Sam Darnold here. No, and I mean, I'm frankly surprised Sam Darnold made it 60 minutes in this game because it's to the point now. I mean, like, obviously, like, I'm, I'm probably having like too good of a time, like, joking about it on Twitter. You're like, oh, Sam Darnold's looking so bad. Uh, but it actually is kind of sad. Uh, I mean, three interceptions, zero touchdowns. The bottom has just fallen completely out. Uh, he has seven passing touchdowns on the season. He has 11 interceptions. He has zero touchdowns of any kind uh, over his past five starts. No, excuse me. He has zero passing touchdowns over his past five starts and only two total touchdowns. And those two rushing scores were from five weeks ago. Like, he's just been – I mean, I don't know if solved is like a little too dramatic of a word, but whatever he's doing has been figured out and they need to rip up whatever was working with Sam Darnold in like weeks one through four, because I mean, I don't even know though, like how you can gain, like the, the mistakes he made Sunday versus the kind of no NFL quarterback, rookie veteran bridge fill in can be making horrible pick six. He just lobbed up a ball when he was on the run he just threw a ball kind of directly to Jamie Collins in the middle of the field. Uh, he he let the DB he let JC Jackson uh, run DJ Moore's route for him in the end zone, like a really amateur mm-hmm. interception. And t- he's taking bad sacks. It just seems like his confidence is totally shot. And it's to the it's to the point where it, it's not just hurting Robbie Anderson. It's not just hurting Terrace Marshall. It's hurting DJ Moore. It could be hurting Christian McCaffrey going forward. It's it's dragging down the entire offense. 
Yeah, we just talked about the Saints, and the box score here looks a lot like the Saints, except a little worse. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, 14 rushes for 52 yards, and then Christian McCaffrey leading the team in receiving yards with 54. He had four receptions and five targets. So, you know, you, you don't want your running back to be the entire focal point of the offense. Somehow we've seen three teams in a row. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the case. Yeah, that's great. But, uh <laughs> Yeah, the, the Panthers might be like the worst off of these teams because I don't know if they know like what to do now. No, and like there's no real indication that PJ Walker would like be anything that much better. Uh, but it is to the point like to make like a baseball analogy, you know, like where like a team keeps bringing out a reliever like every night, you know, is like giving up a home run every night, like loading the bases every night. We're like, well, clearly there's someone better than this guy in the minor leagues. Like, I know the St. Louis Cardinals have a better pitcher than this they can call up. And they usually do, and they're usually better. And it might be to that point with Sam Darnold where, like, even if P.J. Walker is not anyone's idea of the answer, mm-hmm. it's hard. he can't be – no one can be worse than zero touchdowns uh, for a quarterback passing touchdowns in his past five games. I mean, by definition, you can't get worse than not scoring uh, five games in a row. And the modern NFL, it's just almost impossible. And uh, yeah, there's got to be something has something's got to give. How did Chris McCaffrey look in terms of his health? Look good. Pace getting up field like the rare times. So space was hard to come by because we know Bill Belichick, you know, famously likes to take away your number one weapon. Uh, Sam Darnold getting no respect from the defense. So hard for CMC to find space. The rare occasions he did find space. I thought he was getting up field just as quickly as you'd expect Christian McCaffrey to get up field. The hamstring. Did not look to be an issue. It seemed like no residual effects. Uh, he supposedly escaped without setbacks. And, you know, I guess maybe he was on a snap count, but uh, he outtouched Choba Hubbard 18 to four. Like, it's if, if there was a snap count, it's definitely going away for week 10. Um, so, knock on wood with this guy at this point, but he looks back and he looks healthy. I'll also note DJ Moore led the team in targets with seven. So, you know, even though Bill Belichick did take away their number one weapon in, in DJ Moore, holding him to three yeah. for thirty-two, you're not yeah. you're not gonna let me get away with that. <laughs> Wait, I, I you know, yeah, sorry, yeah. I mean, he, I'm we, calling we all, DJ Moore the number one weapon. We all know. No, I'm saying we know the real heads know. Uh, by the way, Sam Darnold almost took away number one weapon DJ Moore uh, with a hospital yeah. ball, where he got his ribs just totally destroyed, and thankfully he remained in the game. But yeah, the real heads know, Pat. Um, it's DJ Moore and it's DJ Moore. He's, he's the, the straw that stirs the drink on this offense. He's the beating heart of the <laughs> <laughs> on the Patriots side. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, another, another running back, Pat, we're four for four. Now he has, le- he led the, obviously a running back led the team in rushing unless this is the Ravens um, with 62 yards on 10 rushes. And then he also led the team in receiving yards with 44 uh, with two receptions for two uh, on two targets. Tell me about Stevenson's day. Uh, I'm totally unbiased and just uh, yeah. <laughs> first hundred yard game from scrimmage of his entire career. Uh, he had a he had a takeover. There was a certified Ramondre Stevenson takeover drive in the second mm-hmm. quarter where he had 62 of the Patriots 75 yards on this drive. And of course, this drive though ended in a three yard Damian Harris rushing touchdown because that's just the way that things work in fantasy football and in the NFL. And I mean, I was not expecting a great day for the, the, pa- the Patriots rushing offense, you know, against the Panthers defense since the return of Shaq Thompson has been 
very, very like they're looking the kind of like the early season forming, and they did average under four yards per carry. The Patriots only attempted eighteen passes, so part part of it was probably volume driven. But I mean, talk about getting upfield. The Patriots are getting a field. Reminder: Stevenson looked very, very dangerous. Uh, despite having 100 yards in scrimmage, he was third in snaps because he suffered a potential concussion early in the fourth quarter. Damian Harris also suffered a potential concussion early in the third quarter. Brandon Bolden was – they were just all – the Patriots just had the run game working. They were paving dudes with their blocks, getting – everyone was getting upfield. No one was taking negative carries. And But Ramondre, man, he's he's the, the Pat Crane pre-draft evaluation, pre-draft hype. He's he's looking like he's looking like a gamer, folks. We we like Ramon. This is a Ramondre Stevenson account and Ramondre Stevenson podcast. I'm I'm excited to hear you say that because you know fantasy managers are going to need to know if they can hold him when he's a healthy scratch for the next two or three weeks. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. Bill Belichick really doesn't like it if you get a concussion. He thinks that's controllable, and he's going to no. Uh, not even Bill Belichick is that crazy. I don't see any fumbles lost here, so hopefully uh, Ramondre's healthy. Not Ramondre, just from Mac Jones, who took himself a nice little Tannehill, which I've seen him do a few times this year, where he does not – he just, like, his brain, like, doesn't even conceive of the concept of blindside pressure and just, like, stands there and gets destroyed <laughs> from behind. And, yeah, he lost a fumble. Almost as bad as – I like, was that – who was that – got it, Randy Gray? Who got him? Uh, in that Cowboys game where he got like broken in half, basically it was similar to that where he got broken in half again and lost a fumble. So he's going to have to work on not getting broken in half from the blind side. Well, just to close out, like what did you see from the Patriots passing game? Cause it seems like they just, they weren't going to it at all. Kendrick Bourne, the leading receiver with 34 yards, the next highest receivers, Hunter Henry at 19 yards. And then the next highest wide receiver is Jacoby Myers with just one reception for eight yards on four targets. So, you know, low volume day, 18 passing attempts. Um, so you can't expect yeah. too much production, but still pretty, pretty low. Yeah, I mean, there's there was just nothing to see here because the running game was running pure. The Panthers were just doing nothing on offense, you know, scoreless for a, a huge chunk of the game. They they had no incentive to take downfield shots, no incentive to like do anything risky. They were spreading the ball around, low A dot type throws, just clearly just trying to get in and out of there with a victory and he was asked to do very, and even with that, he lost a fumble and let former teammate teammate, Stefan Gilmore uh, run a route. I use that phrasing. I forget for which receiver, but it really was like Stefan Gilmore knew the route. It was Jacoby Myers knew the route better than Jacoby Myers and Mac Jones threw it right to him. And uh, yeah, they were just, it was, it was operation game managed for Mac Jones and understandably. So they got out of there with a 24 to six victory. That makes sense. All right, Patrick Darty, Thanks so much. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. 
You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Get an edge in your fantasy league with player rankings, projections, tiers, and alerts for players on your team or who you're eyeing on the waiver wire by signing up for NBC Sports Edge Plus and do it at a discount. Use the code GOOD10 and get 10% off your annual subscription. The Giants defeated the Raiders 23-16 in Darren Waller's first game with over five catches and 65 yards since week one, but it wasn't enough to overcome the Giants. Kyle Dvorak. Tell us about this game. Yeah, like that Waller stat line was sort of inverse to the idea that his uh, his stat line would have been helpful only because, you know, they basically were losing uh, around the second half and were forced to air the ball out. But without, you know, deep threat Henry Ruggs, it ended up just funneling to, as expected, Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller. So that, as you're losing, kind of went expected. Defense gives up that short stuff, and that's all you need to have a good day from Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. Uh, so that kind of assuming you were, uh, you know, I'm not that you were expecting him to lose, but if you know the Raiders were losing, that side kind of everything checks out there. Uh, another thing of note, Josh Jacobs, again, with four catches, like he is sort of becoming, I don't want to say an every down player because getting Drake was also involved in the passing game. But the more we can up his receiving projection, he really does become a very interesting player for DFS, for season long, for all formats just because he used to be so game script dependent. And now, even if he's not in on every two-minute drill, even if he's not in on that many two-minute drills, if you can start pushing him to that two-and-a-half, three-catch range, I think that was like one of the more interesting takeaways from this game for me because the other side somehow, despite winning, felt way less inspiring for fantasy. Yeah, I played Josh Jacobs on a couple different DFS lineups this week. So that gives you – I don't know if if listeners are are aware of kind of how uh, uninterested in Josh Jacobs I usually have been. It tells you that the tide is is changing here a little bit. I think um, with the the new player call, play caller Greg Olson, it felt to me like things were shifting, entering this game. And so, to your point, to see him to get uh, four targets here is a big deal. Darren Waller's stat line, by the way, seven for ninety two in this game on eleven targets. Kenyon Drake was the next leading receiver, and then Hunter Renfro Renfro at just forty nine yards. So, not a ton of actual wide receiver production here kind of the the classic outside wide receiver that we would expect to maybe be filling in for Henry Ruggs now Brian Edwards did not have a reception he had four targets here but didn't have a reception did did the Raiders passing attack just kind of look unhealthy like what what was your takeaway yeah I mean Derek Carr threw eight passes to Zay Jones and Brian Edwards and I actually projected Zay Jones to kind of play more of the uh Henry Ruggs role to a lesser extent in terms of effectiveness, and that obviously bore out, but it also bore out with Brian Edwards. Both of those players were the players we expected and did in this game appear to be used in that mid to deep role. Dermaler also did help push the chains a little bit, though, but it was, as you said, Zay Jones, Brian Edwards were the guys that they were looking to to move the ball downfield, and uh, they combined for one of eight on targets. As you said, Brian Edwards did not find that one, and Deshaun Jackson reported after this game to be signing with the team, so both of these players... Uh, you know, basically splitting that role, not awfully appealing when they were doing that. Now it seems like they might not even get a chance to really bite into that Henry Ruggs role at all. Uh, they didn't do well in their very limited chance to perform in the Henry Ruggs, uh, in service of Henry Ruggs. 
and immediately Sean Jackson joins the team, you can kind of just write these two guys off as pretty much done for now. That makes sense. On the Giants side, disappointing day for the passing game here. Uh, in particular, particular, let's start with Kadarius Toney, who was pretty chalky in DFS, pretty popular play. Uh, a guy, you know, rightfully people were very excited about after what he'd shown. But right here, one for nine on one target. Uh, he attempted a pass, took a sack. He had a rush for negative two yards. So there were some like attempts to get him involved here, but uh, not so much as a receiver where he only gets the one target. Yeah, the, the the sack quarterback type stats came from one, maybe two wildcat plays that uh, the one got blown up in the backfield on, on a third down conversion attempt, I believe, didn't seem to be working out, obviously, as the stat line bears out. And then, yeah, like it wasn't just uh, Tony, though. Tony may be the most frustrating because, as you said, he was popular in DFS. We were really excited for him, Sam Sterling Shepard, to play a large role. And he ran around on roughly 75% of Daniel Jones dropbacks. Uh, I saw tweeted out after the game, so it's not like he was – taken off the field, I mean, that awfully much or anything. It was more than just uh, that one, they had a, a lead in the second half and pretty much rode that on Devontae Booker. And, uh, you know, he played well, so they just kept riding with him. And then on top of that, because they had the lead, Daniel Jones throws 20 pass attempts, many of which just found their way to the check down style options. Evan Ingram, Kyle Rudolph led the team in targets and receptions, uh, finished fourth in receiving yards because when Kyle Rudolph leads your team in targets, no guarantee he does very much with it. So, yeah, it just seemed like the team with the lead was comfortable running the football, and when they weren't running the football, were just checking down to the most basic of checkdown options. Didn't choose really outside of the Wildcat stuff to get creative with Tony. And uh, the only thing you can say is that they didn't have to because the Raiders weren't, you know, really contending in this game despite the scoreline being close. To me, that feels at best like a bit of a hollow answer, though, because if you're giving Kyle Rudolph five targets, just you should be trying to engineer those towards Tony, who will do so much more with them. So I think you could arguably write it off, but I'm a little more concerned just because, sure, the passing volume was low, but the target shares were also obviously incredibly low. One target is a very low target share. Yes, it is. Um, for uh, the backfield here, you know, we're probably getting Saquon Barkley back pretty soon, um, but we could we could have another week or maybe even two with, uh, with Devontae Booker. Uh, remains to be seen, but here he was kind of used like you'd almost expect Saquon Barkley to just kind of have his name slotted in here. 21 rushes for 99 yards on the ground, uh, three targets, three receptions for 23 yards, not quite as much receiving volume, but uh, that, that was tied for second in targets um, and third in receiving yards. So actually a pretty decent receiving workload here for Booker. Any takeaways from the backfield as we kind of prep for, for Barkley to get back here? Yeah, Giants, I believe, entering their bye week, and then uh, we should have Saquon Barkley back. But, I mean, it's definitely not a guarantee that he comes back. Should he be sidelined either for that Week 11 return or any time in the future? Yeah, Booker likes the, looks like the absolute guy. And Elijah Penny's work in this game mostly came at the very end. Booker left with four-ish minutes left, maybe maybe five or six minutes left, mm. with a hip injury. But right after the game, he said he felt great and actually planned on going back into the game really seemed to downplay it, especially coming off the bye. I would imagine he is ready, you know, not that he'll be used necessarily with Barkley possibly returning, but I would imagine he is ready for their return in week 11. So if we do have another game with Devontae Booker, I think it's just business as usual where he's kind of a lock for 15 carries and two to three catches at a minimum. I believe in four starts, he is bottomed out, quote, at 16 touches just because they use him in all phases of the game. So 
he really, I don't want to say he plays a Saquon Barkley role, but he does play an RB1 role in his team. Maybe not to the heights that Saquon Barkley gets to, but his floor kind of just looks like in terms of usage, the same floor we see, see for Saquon. So I don't want to put him in the RB1 status because you usually have to pair volume with a good offense. I doubt we can say that about this team, but I think you can at least put him as a, a volume-based high floor RB2 anytime he starts, which is not a given in week 11. Let's move to the second game you did for us with the Cardinals defeating the 49ers 31 to 17 in a game where they did not have Kyler Murray. They did not have DeAndre Hopkins or AJ Green, but they did have James Conner, who leads the league in rushing touchdowns now. Yeah, they did have uh, James Conner, which was just an absolutely wild game. Uh, I mean, like James Conner looked good, though. Like, you know, I I sort of (laughs) sigh as I talk about James Conner because he's mostly been just that vulture where you want to see that DeAndre Hopkins one-yard touchdown. And obviously it goes to James Conner because he's good at pounding him in. But this game was not that. You know, he doesn't deserve to have the, oh, he's a touchdown vulture moniker attached to this game because he was absolutely running downhill mad against the 49ers. And he was actually playing a pretty significant role as a pass catcher because Chase Edmonds, uh, I believe, Leave on his first carry, if not just he only got one carry, got hurt, didn't return, was never ruled out, but never came back to the game. So he played a pretty significant chunk, if not arguably just all of the Chase Edmonds role and the James Conner role. And it was his best game. I, you know, I think in terms of fantasy points, it was his best game since 2018. And I haven't watched every James Conner game since then. I'm not sure you could, but it had to be the best because he did legitimately look fast, bruising, efficient, everything you would want to say about James Conner as, you know, at one point, a really well, uh, you know, well-regarded prospect. So I think if he were to look like this going forward and Chase Edmonds has continued to be out, that really remains to be seen. Cliff Kingsbury didn't give an update on Edmonds at the end of the game. You kind of almost have to lock him into RB1 numbers. He's playing well. He's being used to the goal line. And if you add a pass catching role to that, he was already, you know, that touchdown dependent RB2. It's, it's kind of hard. Like, you know, I, I talk about Devontae Booker, the missing element was the, the offense. We have the offense here, and with Chase Edmonds out, mm-hmm. we saw everything we needed to see, played well, scored touchdowns, even caught passes. So obviously it was destined for RB1 numbers in this game, given that Chase Edmonds left. And anytime Chase Edmonds out, you really have to consider him an RB1. James Conner, 21 rushes, 96 yards, and two touchdowns. And then through the air, this was the really shocking part, I think, five targets, five receptions for 77 yards, and a touchdown there as well. He had a long of 45 through the air, a long of 35 on the ground. So to your point of him looking really good, I mean, breaking off big runs. You know, Benjamin got a little bit involved as well. He had nine for 39 in a touchdown. Was that just kind of mop-up duty or was, I mean, this game wasn't like a total blowout. What what was, you know, Benjamin's involvement like? Uh, they were up, I believe, uh, 24 points. I think it was something like, uh, you know, 31, 31 to a low scoring, whatever the 24 of that is. Uh, so it was semi mop up duty. Although, you know, Benjamin does, uh, he actually profiles pretty similarly to the size and pass catching acumen as Chase Edmonds. Although, as you read out the numbers, it was obvious James Conner was in line for a good chunk. I would guess going forward, given a, a week of preparation, if Edmonds were to be out, Eno would play a slightly pumped up role, uh, you know, relative to uh, like he's been a mix of healthy scratch for Jonathan Ward and active. So I think he would play a slightly increased role. But I do think the way James Conner showed, it would be difficult to completely bestow the Chase Edmonds role to a different player, seeing how well James Conner played. As you noted, some of Chase or some of, you know, Benjamin's work did come later in the game when it was mostly salted away. So I would I would say, yeah, he's maybe worth stashing in some deeper leagues at a minimum, but I wouldn't be confident starting him just given how well James Conner played. James Conner has been used as a pass catcher in the past as well, and those thoughts starts for Le'Veon Bell. He was good at that role. They just haven't used him like that yet. 
now they are. And I, I would imagine they like what they saw. What about the receivers here? And we had so many injuries here. Um, Christian Kirk led the way with 91 yards, six receptions on six targets. Um, was he playing primarily on the outside? Like what was kind of the deployment like for him? And talk to me a little bit about Rondell Moore, who had kind of a disappointing day, five for 25 on five targets. Yeah, more, uh, you know, ironically, you would have wanted more from him. They weren't really, I think it was like his first uh, game in a handful of weeks without a rush attempt. They weren't really scheming up much interesting for him. It looked like he was being used more in the slot, Kirk on the outside. And uh, Kirk made, made his day essentially with a 15-yard catch from Colt McCoy that was a well-thrown ball 50 yards downfield from within his own 10-yard line, put him about midway point in the field. And uh, I think if the game been more competitive, Kirk on the outside picking up a lot of high-value targets could have done maybe not another 50-yarder, but could have picked up a handful of more chunk plays given how competitive, you know, how back and forth the game would have been given that the Arizona side, the one like with Colt McCoy in their center, we really had low expectations for. They put up their end of the bargain, had another team come to this game and put up their end of the bargain. It would have been, I think, a really uh, impressive outing from Kirk, but the team ultimately didn't really need to lean on the passing game, both with the lead and with how, uh, you know, how well James Conner was running. Also had a 33-yard pass to Antoine Wesley, who, uh, you know, I don't have the snap numbers in front of me, but he did look to uh, have surpassed Andy Isabella, who's been scratched throughout this year. So I know uh, as the resident dynasty guy, that, that probably hurts you somewhere deep. But it really is. A, it's a two-man rotation at receiver, and then after that, I would I would project Zach Ertz to be the next man up. Another, you know, kind of quiet game from Ertz, but it was mostly a, a quiet passing attack out of uh, you know necessity or just the ability to do so. There's plenty of dynasty things that hurt me deep, but Andy Isabella is a a, a scar that has fully healed over. I have to say, that's, that's good. That's, that's good not, to hear. I've been holding out hope for him for a while. Um, let's move over to the 49ers side of this. Uh, and let's start with uh, a guy that we don't have to bury in Dynasty, Brandon Ayuk, who kind of came back here, uh, had us pretty nervous, but he had eight targets, six for 89, gets in the end zone. He lost a fumble early, I, I was aware, and then came back. They didn't they didn't bury him. So uh, I have to say I was pretty nervous when he lost the fumble, but <laughs> had a pretty nice day. Uh, and Debo Samuel behind him a little bit in – Production five for sixty three on nine targets. We know that Samuel was banged up in this game. So, talking about the wide receivers here. Yeah, you, you alluded to it. There was a, a maybe a second quarter, but it was first half fumble from Brandon Ayuk makes a really nice catch down the field and then just loses the ball as he's going to the ground. And like you said, at that point, uh, you know, in recent, you know, last week he actually had a pretty solid role as well. And we were just starting to pull him out from six feet deep in the ground. And we thought he's headed back in, right? There's just no way that uh, after seeing what they did to him early in the year, limiting, you know, limiting his routes, not choosing to target him, even when he was running routes, I, you know, I like everyone else kind of assumed it was, it was curtains for him and no, they just kept him on the field, kept running him. And he played like, not only did he post his best numbers of the year in every category, except you know, one touchdown tied the other one touchdown he has throughout the year, but he also just played outside of the fumble. I thought a really good game. He took a few very aggressive shots. They were using him in that mid to downfield range right across the middle, throwing him. I don't want to say hospital balls, but balls where you catch it and expect to get lit up. And, and boy, did he take a few shots. He even exited the game for a few minutes with what looked like a, you know, ab groin injury. But he, he came back in within a, a drive or a few minutes. So he was seemed fine, probably just got the wind knocked out of him. But yeah, he took some shots, kept moving, secured some really difficult to catch passes. I was uh, nothing but impressed with his ability to play the role we always thought he could, where Debo Samuel moves underneath, gets yards after the catch. And then when you want to move the chains, you want those chunk plays, you go to Brandon Ayuk. I can't say I feel super confident that this doesn't 
disappear at any point, just given how fickle we've seen Kyle Shanahan is with his skill position players. But he has his two highest targeted games in back-to-back weeks uh, coming, you know, in these two recent weeks. So I do kind of think uh, he's probably been cut a ton of leagues, if not like all leagues our listeners are playing in. So he's definitely worth a stash at this point. Uh, more hesitant to start him, but he should at least be rostered given his talent acumen and his recent uptick in role. Debo Samuel, like you said, still led the team in targets, which was good. But now with George Kittle back in the fold, Brandon Ayuk finally playing the role we always thought he would. It, I think it was a 22.5% target share. He was at 34% entering this game. And while leading your team in targets is good, dropping 10% or more in target share is very concerning. It's just a one-game sample. So I don't want to, you know, go crying wolf here. But it does coincide with Kittle returning, with IU playing a larger role that does logically follow that someone has to give up some targets somewhere. So I was pretty confident heading into this week that we were, uh, you know, we had seen really good, strong wide receiver one usage from Debo Samuel. I can't say I was confident coming out of this game. What about Kittle, who comes back in this game? He scores a touchdown. He had six receptions for 101 yards on eight targets. Pretty nice return for Kittle. How did he look? Yeah, he looked uh, awesome. Although he, he so he had a fumble early in the game where he hurdles a dude, and in midair the ball just gets punched out. But like, I think the uh, you know the signal here is that he is fully healthy and doing insane athletic stuff as he always does, and he did it within a few quarters. You know, just looking like his typical uh, you know as fast as a wide receiver and like as tall and lengthy as a as a slim down guard. Right, you know, just plays a very niche hybrid type of role displayed all that athleticism we're used to and capitalized on it with, I believe his 11th 100 yard game of his career, obviously found the end zone as well. Uh, You know, I don't have the snap counts in front of me. I didn't see him coming off the field much. And if it did, I would have to imagine given his eight targets, uh, second most on the team that it was for, you know, essentially blocking stuff and going forward, we can only expect his role to at least increase or if he played all centers, essentially stay the same. He looked like the top three tight end. We know he can be, there was really no doubt about that. And with this uh, 49ers defense continuing to look, uh, you know, just far from their highs of a few years ago, more shootouts could be, you know, on the horizon for this team. That'd be perfect for all of the pass catchers involved, but especially Kittle, just because he has that positional advantage of his points are just worth more relative to the dregs of the the tight end. Even 10, 11, these guys just cannot compete. Whereas, you know, wide receiver twos can compete with Debo Samuels. One name I don't see here in the box score is Jeff Wilson. Am I crazy? Didn't he get activated from IR? Yes, I believe he was active for this game. I like I didn't uh, you know I didn't write up his name in an active, so I would have assumed he was there, and he was activated from IR. So yes, he would have been listed on inactives. So uh, yeah, I just don't think he played at all. And so you bring the backfield, and the really interesting thing is that Elijah Mitchell actually was involved as a pass catcher. Uh, I believe he came into the game with four career receptions. It's his rookie season, so it's going to be a low number. And he had he, he more than doubled that. I believe he had five this game. And he was in on a handful of the, the two-minute drill type of stuff. He wasn't exclusively the pass catching back. They still had, I believe, four targets to Jamichael Hasty, two to Kyle Juszczyk. But the thing is, when you take Elijah Mitchell, who in a negative game script gets 12 carries, and I mean, he got less than that in this one, actually. But in a negative game script, gets uh, essentially erased from the plan. And you up him to even in negative game scripts, he can actually be involved, just put up a few PPR points. That just increases his floor by uh, – it, it almost feels exponential that the way that increases his floor, given that you know this defense may not actually be able to sustain these sort of downhill running on Leeds games. So I don't think he completely cemented himself as you know the team's uh, three down back. But anytime he inches closer, that pushes him from the speculative RB2 to a really high-end RB2, even with you know RB1 upside in any given. Yeah, that's why I actually started with Wilson, because this does feel like he inched closer to that. And, you know, 
he was banged up heading into this game, Mitchell. So if he if they used him like this with Wilson available while he wasn't even fully healthy, does seem like a really good sign. Uh, eight for 36 on the ground, uh, and he had five targets, five receptions, and 43 yards through the air. So pretty exciting stuff for Eli Mitchell, but uh, I think that should cover everything for this game. Yeah, I can actually con- I can actually confirm. Okay. Uh, it just dawned on me that I know. Well, I assume that uh, Jeff Wilson was active because Trey Sermon. I, I blurred him inactive. Uh, you know, giving him the classic Dante Pettis treatment. And I mean, they've shown time and time again. I don't need to tell you this, right? That Trey Sermon is their RB like four or something. And they're not going to use him as a pass catcher. Completely gone. And because he was inactive, I know Jeff Wilson was active, which bodes really well for uh, actually for Elijah Mitchell because the scarier competition was always Jeff Wilson coming back, mm-hmm. and it appears. In one game, that threat was nullified. All right. Kyle Dvorak, thanks so much. The Broncos defeated the Cowboys 30-16, to the game where the Cowboys got back Dak Prescott but had their lowest output of the year with just 16 points. Jack Miller, what went wrong here for the Cowboys? Yeah, they just really could not get anything going on offense. Um, I mean, if you look at Dak's final stat line, it looks a little bit better than it actually was because he did have two touchdowns. He had more than 200 yards. But for most of the game, they really just could not get anything going. He had a couple garbage time touchdowns to Malik Turner, which you know doesn't really help anyone for fantasy purposes. But for most of the game, Dak just really could not get anything going on offense. Yeah, and you know, Amari Cooper was a guy that we were pretty excited about for DFS purposes. Uh, kind of chalky, underpriced, and I know that he, I think he had a big catch early on in the game. His long catch was 32 in this, 32 yards uh, in the game, but just finishes with two for 37 on five targets. Pretty big disappointment for him. Dalton Schultz actually led the receivers with four for 54 on five targets. Uh, Not what we were expecting, although Schultz obviously is a good player, but uh, disappointing day for Cooper and then also for CeeDee Lamb, who had just two for 90, two for 23 on nine targets. Uh, so he does lead all receivers and targets, but finishes with just 23 receiving yards behind guys like Cedric Wilson, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Tony Pollard, um, Malik Turner, you know, all finishing ahead of CeeDee Lamb in receiving yards. So kind of a strange day as well for like who was seeing targets from Dak. Yeah. I mean, like you said, CD had the most targets on the team and then Malik Turner was second, and then Malik Turner had two touchdowns in the fourth quarter when the game was over, basically, and the Cowboys were down by 30. Um, but Amari and, and Schultz both had five targets, and, and Schultz, I, th- I mean, both of them, that's surprising, but Schultz should have a large role now, too, with Blake Jarwin on IR. And then Cedric Wilson, who has been the wide receiver three, uh, had five targets, too, and, uh, yeah, Turner stepped up, but, like, like, like we've talked about, it was all in garbage time. So hard to take really anything away from that. What about the backfield? I know Zeke was kind of banged up at times being looked at for, I believe it was a knee contusion. Um, so we had 10 targets, 51 yards from Zeke. Pollard gets four, uh, uh, sorry, 10 carries, 51 yards for Zeke. Pollard, four carries for 11 yards, not a ton of production out of the backfield in a game where it kind of felt like maybe things could could get rolling for them there. Yeah, and I mean, it's tough really to get any kind of a ground game going when you're down 30 points. Um, and then Zeke was in it. He did leave with the right knee contusion, I think it was, but he was playing at the end of the game when the Cowboys were down by a bunch. So I don't think they would have 
him out there when the game was decided if there was any concern moving forward about the knee, but really just not the game script you want for these guys uh, from a rushing perspective. On the other side, uh, in the Friday walkthrough, I, I wrote about how we probably are going to have some low volume rushing from the Broncos in this game, you know, with the Cowboys putting up points and everything. Well, that was really wrong because Javante Williams had 17 rushes for 111 yards. Melvin Gordon had 21 rushes for 80 yards. This offense was able to just run, run, run. I mean, it's pretty crazy to have two running backs with, you know, nearly 20 20, uh, attempts each. Yeah, really crazy rushing volume. They had more than 40 team attempts in total. Um, I I mean, I think the process was there, right? Like, you could not expect – the Broncos to blow out the Cowboys like they did, but it just so happened that, you know, any given Sunday and both of these guys had 17 carries. Javante had a really nice carry early on where he was tackled by a bunch of Cowboys and somehow just broke through, had a big run. It seems like he's doing that almost on a weekly basis at this point, just breaking out these huge runs, but the Broncos seem pretty committed to keeping both of these guys involved. And I don't think that's really going to change in the short term. Um, But yeah, just, Good week for both Javante and Melvin Gordon. Uh, we had Tim Patrick leading the way in terms of uh, the receivers here, four for 85 on five targets. Jerry Judy led in targets with eight, finishes with six receptions for 69 yards. Not a bad day. Cortland Sutton did have a bad day, just one for nine on two targets. And then Albert O was uh, you know, kind of the chalk piece this week in DFS. Didn't really deliver four for 25 on five targets. Although I guess he wasn't a, a total zero, which is all you needed at his price. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, Patrick also left briefly, um, but he also returned. I think in general, I mean, people might overreact to sudden, but sudden has shown all year that he's just a really good football player. And so I, I'm not going to take too much away from his two target performance. I think the good thing to see was Judy having eight targets he was third on the team in routes last week in his return from ankle injury, but now it looks like he's all the way back. And so someone that you can confidently start moving forward again in fantasy lineups. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm a little concerned with Sutton just because um, I was hoping that maybe, you know, Judy would help the passing offense be more efficient. And I guess that that might be the case, but, you know, the Broncos just so clearly wanting to run the ball has me concerned about the ability for multiple wide receivers to be supported. And Tim Patrick continues to be a professional wide receiver. So if he's going to get four, uh, four receptions for 85 yards and a touchdown in this type of environment, that's, that's, I think really going to hurt Judy and Sutton. Yeah, I think that's fair. Although, I mean, I would say it was a really extreme game script because the Broncos were up like 20 plus for most of the game. And so Teddy did still have 28 attempts, but just in general, I don't think you can expect that kind of, extraordinary run heavy um game plan for the broncos moving forward yep that's a good point all right jack miller thanks so much yeah for sure thank you want to make mom's day get to your nordstrom rack now and score amazing deals for mother's day which is sunday may 12th find tons of gifts from only 30 dollars at nordstrom rack fragrance jewelry luxury bags activewear beauty and more Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? 
also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The NFL season is in full swing, and the NBC Sports Predictor app has you covered with Sunday Night 7. Predict what will happen between the Chiefs and Raiders on Sunday night for a chance to win up to $100,000. It's free and easy to play. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. The Jaguars defeated the Bills 9-6 to in a game where Josh Allen was defeated by Josh Allen. For the first time in NFL history, a defensive player sacked a quarterback with the same first and last name, Josh Allen. That defensive player, Josh Allen, also intercepted Josh Allen and recovered a Josh Allen fumble. It was quite a day, except if we actually care about offense. This game, uh, which I covered, was... At first, not it. It seemed like the the Bills were just kind of getting off to a slow start. It, it wasn't that big of a deal that they weren't moving the ball very efficiently, very effectively. It seemed like you know Josh Allen was kind of taking what was there underneath. He's checking down a lot, throwing to the running backs, throwing to Cole Beasley, who had eleven targets in this game, going eight for thirty three. Devin Singletary had eight targets in this game, going seven for forty three. You know, so it didn't seem like that big of a deal. Definitely, we were kind of hoping they'd break out of it, but um, it wasn't like panic-inducing. And Josh Allen was also running around a decent amount. He had some really nice scrambles early in the game. Um, Cole Beasley at one point had a drop over the middle of the field where he was wide open. Like there was no, it wasn't the type of thing where you know there's a guy coming to hit him. He was completely wide open, like basically facing Josh Allen. Hits him directly in the hands. He had to like jump like just slightly, but it was like kind of a perfect throw. Hits hits him right between his hands, completely drops it. They end up punting on that drive. That was probably the first time where I started to think like, uh oh, th- this might not be going well here for the Bills in a in a real way. Um, and ultimately, uh, they're just not able to score a touchdown in this game. You know, they only they only score. Uh, two field goals here, and you know the one of the big factors I would say is that Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen weren't really connecting. They had a couple uh, targets and receptions that connected uh, in the fourth quarter in a row for a couple chunk plays. That was nice to see. And Stefan Diggs did lead the team with 85 yards. He had eight targets, six receptions, so it wasn't like he was invisible out there. But they just didn't seem to be quite clicking, including on the final play of the day where Allen was scrambling around on a long fourth down and he threw pretty low to Diggs. Diggs didn't have a great chance for it. The defender was able to kind of beat him to it slightly and and kind of push his way in, prevent Diggs from really having a chance to make the play. But it was not a great throw. Um, and, And Allen had some kind of weirdly bad throws throughout he also had two interceptions in this game, 
one to Josh Allen and, and another one as well. Also losing that fumble, which was a pretty bad error on Allen's fault from, from you know my vantage point. It was a zone read play. It looked like, based on the way the uh, defender read it, that he should have handed the ball off and he kept it himself, was immediately swarmed and was stripped of the ball. Uh, so I think, you know, truly like uh, his fault for for losing the fumble because I don't think he should have had the ball. I think it should have been in the running back's belly. Um, so overall, pretty poor game from Josh Allen. Made some mistakes. Wasn't like a disaster. He looked really good at times. Uh, he hit um, he hit Emmanuel Sanders on a long, I believe, 22-yard dart. I mean, just a beautiful throw. Uh, you know, goes 22 yards in the air, just a, a rocket was how it's described in the – they were arguing whether it should be a, called a rocket or a laser. I mean, it was truly a, quite a nice throw. Hits Emmanuel Sanders, converts on a long third down. But, you know, he also had some really bad throws as well. Um, so – not too much to take away. You know, you hope this is one you just kind of burn the tape for the Bills on offense. But uh, I guess one thing I'll say is that, you know, Tommy Sweeney is not Dawson Knox. He had two targets here, went two for 10. I think that one of the reasons we're seeing so much work for Beasley with 11 targets, eight for 33, is because Dawson Knox isn't there. Sweeney's not able to soak up as much of that target volume, and Beasley is benefiting from additional intermediate and underneath volume. So that's something to take away. And then in the backfield, Zach Moss had a concussion, was knocked out of this game. But also before that happened, the split was much more even and even tilted towards Singletary than we're used to seeing. Um, So Devin Singletary had five carries before Zach Moss was concussed and Moss only had three carries on the day. So it seems like, you know, maybe we're moving back to more of a 50-50 timeshare or we're moving back to where we we can't count on Moss at least to be the 1A every single week. So that's a little unfortunate overall because it would be nice to have some more uh, predictability here. But certainly if you have Devin Singletary, he starts to look more interesting, especially since it's possible that Zach Moss does not play next week. On the Jaguar side, we also had a very brief injury to Trevor Lawrence. He had uh, an ankle injury. It looked bad. He went down, grabbed his ankle. He could not get off the field without help from trainers. They uh, take him into the locker room that, you know, he was sort of walking off, but he had a trainer, an arm around a trainer on each side, was not putting any weight on that right leg. Not the type of thing where you expect to see him back um, at all in the game. And not only was he back, in the game, but he actually came back out right before half. There was like a minute and 30 seconds left. He comes out of the locker room um, and to the point where CJ Beathard only ended up attempting two throws in relief of Lawrence. He comes back out. They don't let him go back on the field right away. He's on the sideline running sprints up and down, you know, kind of doing, doing drop back drills and stuff, trying to get back in the game. So it was a, a total injury scare, nothing serious. He's probably in some pain for the rest of the game, but he played through it. Uh, overall, though, I mean, Trevor Lawrence was not productive in this game. He only had 118 yards passing on 26 attempts, not really connecting with anyone. Dan Arnold led the team with 60 yards, but Dan Arnold had a 28-yard 
reception from C.J. Beathard, which was like a total weird floating pass. It wasn't like he had a connection with Beathard exactly. He happened to make a really nice sideline grab on that floater. But, you know, the best play of the, of the entire game from, uh, you know, the long the longest reception the Jaguars had the entire day was that pass. Doesn't even come from Trevor Lawrence. A pretty bad throw, frankly. It was really just a nice catch by by Arnold. Um, outside of that, it was the Jamal Agnew. Um, they converted a uh, they converted a nice uh, fourth and two, where Agnew had a twenty three yard catch and run on that play. Uh, that was probably the best Jaguars play of the day. Uh, there wasn't a ton here to be excited about. I mean, Agnew had three for 27 on five targets. Chenault had four for 24 on four targets. Marvin Jones had three for 21 on five targets. The best play of the day should have been Marvin Jones catching a touchdown down the sideline to seal the game for the Jaguars. But Trevor Lawrence badly overthrew him. Marvin Jones was open. It would have truly sealed the game. They were already up three. There's very little time left. Uh, you know, the Bills should have beaten the Jaguars because Lawrence missed that throw, but they they couldn't. Uh, for some reason, they couldn't generate offense today. So uh, that was a bad a bad play by Lawrence. A really kind of you know not very clutch throw in a situation where you know in in a lot of uh, in a lot of universes. <laughs> The Jaguars lost this week because Lawrence couldn't hit that throw. Uh, Carlos Hyde, he rushed 21 times for 67 yards. He lost a fumble in this game. Um, But, you know, in some ways that makes you more bullish about the role that he saw with James Robinson out because Dari Gumbawale only saw one rush in this game to 21 for Hyde. So, you know, when you're getting 95% of the backfield attempts, that's pretty nice. The team very reliant on him, very confident in him. You know, you had 3.2 yards per carry. It's Carlos Hyde. Not expecting huge things, but you know, he looked pretty good, to be honest. Like, you know, for, for what I was expecting, like he he looked solid. He was getting downhill, like kind of what you're expecting to see from Carlos Hyde. He looked like that, plus maybe like a tiny bit more burst, you know, a tiny bit more explosiveness than, than maybe you, you thought he might have here in 2021. He looks very much kind of like classic Carlos Hyde. Uh, so I think for as many games, you know, as, as James Robinson misses the rest of the way, which hopefully will be none because he seemed like he had a decent chance to play this week. But uh, if he does miss again, then we do have pretty high confidence now that Carlos Hyde will get a workhorse role. And, uh, you know, this was a very difficult matchup with the Bills. The Bills offense did not show up, but the Bills defense held the Jaguars to nine points. And, and to Lawrence, you know, not to be too harsh on Lawrence either, because this is a very difficult Bills defense. Um, so overall, I think we can at least take this information that Carlos Hyde will have a pretty strong role if Robinson misses again. Not too much to take anything else on, on the Jaguars, other than I think Lawrence is probably going to be inconsistent, missing some throws that were there for him, that the, you know the defense gave him chances, wasn't capitalizing on that at times. And that Dan Arnold's probably going to have a pretty significant role going forward, led the team both in targets with seven and in yards with 60. But that'll do it for the Jaguars defeating the Bills. The Dolphins defeated the Texans 17-9 to 
In a game between two juggernauts, the Texans have been held to single digits <laughs> in five of the last seven games. The Finns have scored 20 or less in five of the last six. Rivers McCown, you really stepped up for us here. I have no – I'm dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> was that bad? I was kind of excited for Tyrod Taylor to come back here because he played pretty well in about a game and a half. Um, and he did not play well in this game. He had three interceptions. Uh, he had 43 attempts, so he got decent volume. I mean, better than decent volume, a lot of volume, but only 240 passing yards on 43 attempts. What what happened here? How, how did Tyrod Taylor look, I assume? Not good. So the Dolphins um, like to zero blitz a lot, um, and the Texans decided that they would have no answer for that at all in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. Uh, Tyrod was sacked five times. Uh, the one time the Texans actually made it into the goal-to-go uh, set on uh, third and goal, the Texans let an unblocked rusher come right up the middle and in that very quickly. So I, I don't think that Taylor played well at all. He certainly uh, left a lot of throws on the field. Um, he had a couple to Danny Amendola in particular that could have gone for big yardage or a touchdown, but uh that game was more on the Texans than Tyrod. On the receiving side, Brandon Cooks had 56 yards, six receptions, you know, pretty solid. He had 13 targets. And I guess, you know, I'm looking at these stats all week and everything, and you see Brandon Cooks is always popping with Davis Mills um, at quarterback. You know, it's pretty clear you got to discount that a fair amount. With Tyrod Taylor, we're going to want to discount that to some extent as well. Uh, getting a huge share of a bad offense is not as good as getting, you know, a good share of a really good offense. But like, what what did you see from the targets to Cooks? Like, how much of these were kind of just prairie yards, just just no chance targets, and and how close is he actually to, you know, the kind of the huge receiving share that he's had this year? Well, Cooks was targeted in the red zone four times, so that should tell you that mm. uh, things were things are pretty close. He's he's still the go to guy here. Um, a lot of the throws were just very poor because of the, the pressure and, and Taylor Taylor just had, after the first half, he came back and just had like a really disastrous second half of that too. Like he, he was, he was off, off target a lot. He was thrown uh, long on a lot of throws. He was not set. So I think he kind of got discombobulated a little bit there. And anything to take away from the backfields? Uh, Philip Lindsay led the way. <laughs> yeah, uh, he did. So- so that's something. <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't know what's talked about with that with the backfield anymore. Uh, Philip Lindsay had more carries than anybody, but they they he had three carries for twenty one yards on the first drive, and five carries for seven yards afterwards. Uh, David Johnson looked like the target share, or sorry, not the target share, the uh, snap share leader but uh, continues to be like a glorified fullback who catches three passes or five passes a game and can't run. Um, Scotty Phillips got hurt, so mm. he might be out of the derby. Uh, Rex Burkhead is Rex Burkhead. <laughs> but he also had two carries for nine yards, and and I was kind of wondering if maybe last week's usage was just, you know, because of the game script. Um, Definitely you know. looked like it, yeah. But, I mean, he was more involved than he was – before Mark Ingram was traded. He just isn't ever going to grab like a, a major share. Okay. 
What about on the Falcons side? Uh, we didn't have Tua in this game. We didn't have Devontae Parker in this game. So Jalen Waddell and Mike Jasicki were the two top guys, the two fantasy relevant guys. Both of them, I think, came through decently. Eight for 83 for Waddle on 10 targets. And then uh, Gasicki, four for 54 on eight targets. Yeah, what did Jacoby you make Brissett, that? Jacoby Brissett uh, turned the ball over, or the, the Dolphins turned the ball over five times. Jacoby Brissett turned it over twice himself. And uh, it was really hard for them to get anything going. Um, they had one good drive to start the start the game. I think he had their second or first drive. And they also had a short field touchdown to Mac Hollins, of course, who every everybody was rostering Mac Hollins, you know, just yeah. time after time. Uh, Waddle has has done this kind of like every route is like eight yards thing for a while now, and that capped up perfectly as normal. Because Siki made some really nice one-handed catches in this game. He had to really work for his yards, but uh, uh, nothing out of the out of the out of the usual there. Just uh, standard Dolphins uh, football-like product. Gaskin lost a fumble in this game, one of the the turnovers that you mentioned, but he had twenty rushes to Ahmed's four. Uh, and Gaskin only had 34 yards, 1.7 yards per carry uh, on those 20 rushes. He does get in the end zone at least. Um, so that's not great. But, you know, to get the the 20 rushes to the four for Ackman's a uh, pretty nice lead there. Um, what did you see out of the backfield? Yeah, Gaskin had nowhere to run the entire game. Uh, his one touchdown came when they didn't have a quarterback in the game at all. <laughs> they just direct snapped it right to him with like seven linemen and said the hell with it. So, I mean, <laughs> that, that pretty much tells you all you need to know about the state of the running game. Uh, Ahmed got his carries. I think all of them were in the second half, uh, three of them on their one long drive that went nowhere and they punted on. So, I mean, Gaskin's clearly the, the lead guy at this point And until Malcolm Brown comes back and, uh, you know, on Thursday night football, when Ahmed gets like, it carries out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I should also note Gaskin had six targets in this game, six receptions and 23 yards. And that's nice to see. I think especially because Brissett was in for this game. Um, not as, as sure if Gaskin was going to get the receiving usage and, and he did. So in a weird way, he's, he does seem kind of like a bright spot here. Sure. Yeah. In a game with nine turnovers where, the teams combined for 26 points. Anything is a bright spot. Any any little sliver of touchdown hope. We found the silver lining. It was Miles Gaston's workload, so there was something. Rivers <laughs> McCown, thanks so much. Thanks. The Browns defeated the Bengals 41-16 to in Nick Chubb's second multi-touchdown game of the season. They were able to ride him to victory in the Big, big win over the Bengals. John Daigle, how did this one get away from Cincinnati? You would think it was an all-out defensive effort from Cleveland if you look at the box score. But honestly, the Bengals left as many plays on the field as the Browns made. Uh, Two huge drops from Jamar Chase that would have gone for 50-yard gains, including one that Burrow placed perfectly over his shoulder and, unlike Chase, just dropped in the bread basket and fell through his hands. And those would have been massive plays for a team that just struggled to make them throughout the day. Also a tough catch, but one for he T Higgins downfield as well, that he leaped up to the point of the catch, 
did bring in with his hands, but then was knocked out as he fell hard to the ground. And so overall, that was that's the story of the day. Also, Chase with a fumble. It summarizes it well to know that the Bengals drove on their first two possessions. Let's start with the first one very easily, actually, just marching down the field, getting to the three-yard line. And then on the next play, Burrow looks for Chase on an out route and throws it, and it's picked off for a 98-yard pick six. I think that actually summarizes this game best, that the Bengals did actually move the ball with ease, even in taking five sacks, three turnovers. But overall, the Browns just looked like a complete team today. Yeah, it was – It was. Uh, like I was checking in on this game, and it, it seemed really odd because I was getting the same sense, that they were able to move the ball. They did have some offense. You know, Joe Mixon scores two touchdowns in this game. Uh, T. Higgins had 78 yards on six receptions. Um, so it wasn't like a total disaster, but then at the same time, Brandon Allen is in at the end of the game. It's such a blowout that they're, they're pulling Burrow. Um, so just kind of a weird outcome here. Uh, anything else to say on the Bengals side? I mean, anything to take away from the backfield? Um, how much was, was P. Ron's usage here with five for 20 with Mixon at 13 for 64 on the ground? How much of, of P. Ron's usage was coming in garbage time? It was a lot more Mixon when the game was close. And the game wasn't close often. Uh, even Mixon's second score, that was Burrow getting them down the field. And then Mixon came in when the they were already trailing the Bengals 34-10 to 10 and just tacked on a garbage time score. But from that point forward, even though it did seem like, okay, 34-16, now the Bengals can actually, since they did commit a, or get the ball back afterwards, maybe bringing it within two scores. And then maybe it's a game in the fourth quarter. But of course, then the Browns just marched down again and, and overwhelmed them as they did throughout the game. So actually, it was not a lot of P. Ryan. It was much more mixing. It's just still hard to read it. And now the Bengals go into their bye. And so if it were a competitive game, like we saw in week eight, I would imagine it's still going to be heavy Joe Mixon. And that's not concerning. It's confidence because this is a game Chris Evans was active for as well. So to see Mixon still out-touch both without Chris Evans, like basically barely involved, uh, that's good news. On the Brown side here, uh, Nick Chubb is the the big story, as I, I let off the game with. I mean, he scores two touchdowns. He rushed 14 times for 137 yards, 9.8 yards per carry, had a long run of 70 yards. He had two receptions for 26 yards. An awesome day for Nick Chubb. Uh, what did you see from him? Like you said, awesome day. Uh, the big 70-yard touchdown run exploding through the line, breaking tackles, was vintage Nick Chubb. And we talked about this, Kyle Dvorak and myself, on the Friday DFS Building Block show that what we saw from Nick Chubb, 56% of snaps, 16 of 21 backfield carries the week prior was his floor. There was no guarantee they would increase his usage in his second game back from in reserve, but there was a chance without Kareem Hunt that maybe they just said, okay, this is Chubb's first game back. We'll ease him in, and then we'll get back to letting him basically take the entire backfield to himself. And honestly, if it were a competitive game, I would say that would, that's what would happen because seven of – Dearness Johnson's eight touches came on the final two drives. Nick Chubb outtouched him 16 to one until the Browns built a 20 plus point lead. And then Duriners came on the field. So next week against the Patriots, if it's competitive throughout, I honestly think it would be 88, 85% Nick Chubb over Dearness Johnson. Wow. Okay. That's, that's a big takeaway on the receiving side. You know, we, I think made a fairly safe assumption that Jarvis Landry would kind of lead the way here. 
uh, with Odell Beckham out. He did not. In fact, he finished dead last in receiving yards on the team. Uh, and there were eight receivers who saw targets in this game. So uh, not what we were expecting from Landry, only 11 yards, three receptions. He did have five targets, which led the team. So it was more kind of ineffectiveness, I suppose, than not being targeted. But at the same time, it's not like he was peppered with targets. Um, what did you see out of Landry? Like what, what was going on that he was kind of so uninvolved or should I say so unproductive? It was a lot of 13 personnel, which we know in the past they have run a significant amount of without Odo Beckham, but also just instilling what they believe the offense will be for the rest of the year. And that is taking Rashad Higgins out of the equation altogether and going with three wide sets of Donovan Peoples-Jones, who has now spiked three consecutive good games when healthy in a row. Uh, also, Anthony Schwartz and Jarvis Landry. Uh, Schwartz involved as well. And Landry really didn't pop up anywhere, didn't make big plays, helped spring a few runs, but that's about it. Wasn't really involved through the passing game, as you mentioned, but just the usage, just fine. Because now we also know he's still averaging just over six targets per game, going back to last year without Eldo Beckham. I would imagine he continued leading the target share in that case. And Donovan Peoples-Jones was basically used like Beckham in getting open downfield. Even one of his catches, a 60-yard double-move touchdown on Eli Apple that he sprung free. Like I would argue Beckham was that open at times. The issue is Baker Mayfield, a streaky passer himself, just never hit him accurately. Whereas in this case, I don't know if it's the weight of, you know, Beckham being lifted off team shoulders. I don't know if it's just because it's one of those games where Beckham where Baker was good, but it was an accurate throw and it's what led to people's Jones touchdown. So overall, just everything worked today, honestly. And I would say people's Jones is now the deep threat and outside receiver really playing in place of Beckham. Yeah. And Swartz, I would imagine is, is going to be kind of a deep threat as well. Um, and spike is definitely kind of the right word to use, I think for DPJ, because he's mm-hmm. going to have that really deep threat role. Like we saw, with that, with that, I saw that throw. It was a very nice throw. Um, and Baker is, is quite a streaky quarterback to where he can make that throw and then also make you scratch your head a bunch of times. But let's move to the second game that you had where the Chargers defeated the Eagles 27 to 24. Uh, the Chargers becoming the only team in NFL history in this game to have a drive of 98 plus yards and no points. Uh, tell us about that drive. That might be a good place to start. It was one of the very first drives as well. Uh, basically just ended with Keenan Allen getting stonewall at the one. But honestly, beyond that, that is all that Keenan Allen did wrong. Like As he was the one, Darius Slay, of course, shadowing Mike Williams on the outside. Allen was the one to step up. A few a very, a few very big plays. Uh, an 18-yard gain on a third and eight situation in the second half. Also, on that opening drive that you mentioned, uh, six targets alone on that drive. And so it just seemed like that's who they were going to pelt. Justin Herbert also now has the record. He had the record already, but now 12 games of over 300-plus yards in his first two seasons. Mahomes it has 10, for example, so that tells you the mm. kind of company that Herbert's keeping and still being one of the elite passers, but also just everything worked for this Chargers team who Herbert finished with a career high 84% completion rate against the Eagles Um, on throws that he got rid of within two and a half seconds from snap to throw. Herbert was 17 of 18 on play action. This game, nine of 10 for 137 yards and two touchdowns. The play calling was genius. I just honestly think, unfortunately, despite the fantasy goodness that went around everywhere here, it's really just going to boil down to 
one argument on both sides. Uh, one would be Jalen Hurts, who missed Devonta Smith wide open in the end zone of third down at one point, which would have been the game-winning touchdown. So, of course, missing that play. And Jalen Hurts missed a couple throws, but missing that one in particular was big because it did ultimately cost them um, in a butterfly effect way. And the other one is on the final drive for the Chargers. As they marched the field to eventually kick a field goal, they went for it on fourth and one twice and got there on fourth and one twice, converted and moved the chain. So I think those are the talking points, really, that everyone will be discussing in the media uh, tomorrow morning. Yeah, let's uh, let's stick with uh, Devonta Smith because he had a pretty nice game here, five for 116 and a touchdown, uh, but really was the only good news out of the the wide receivers. Interestingly, only four players even targeted in this entire uh, in on the Eagles side in the entire game. Dallas Goddard got six targets, went three for forty-three. Quez Watkins had three targets, two for nine. Jalen Rager had one target, a blown-up screen pass that he lost six yards on. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like Smith, Goddard, and and nothing here, which I guess isn't really news, but you know, pretty striking nonetheless. And we've seen now, this is the fourth week in a row, the Eagles went to a run-heavy attack. Uh, running backs alone, 29 attempts to Jalen Hurts' 17 pass attempts. It's also, unless Jalen Hurts gets a few bunny touchdowns like inside of the five-yard line, it really is limiting Jalen Hurts' production as a fantasy scorer. And so that's really the concern here. Even though he did have 10 carries for 62 yards, it's the fact that they have truly become a run-first team and will likely continue doing so because like in destroying their opponent in Week 8, this game they hung with the Chargers the entire way and running the ball heavily too. So I would imagine that game plan sticks. A little more Jordan Howard than you would like with 17 Mm -hmm, carries compared to Boston Scott's 10. That was really odd, and that was a very concerted game plan. A few big 10-plus yard gain, honestly, for Jordan Howard, but still to see him use significantly over Boston Scott Kenneth Gainwell, Gainwell who had a one-yard touchdown, but no rhyme or reason, I would argue. Uh, no, There's no way to see his usage and say he was in there for this reason. He just happened to be in there. And so it is still, in my opinion, a... Uh, Boss Scott and Jordan Howard, II as the team's lead running back, and then Kenneth Gainwell if there's ever negative game script, which, again, for the second week in a row, there was not. Yeah, I think Miles Sanders got hurt, and Kenneth Gainwell moved from the second running back to the third running back. Yes. I thought it would be the other way, but somehow uh, he, he moved down the depth chart. Um, <laughs> on the other side, Austin Eckler had 17 rushes for 59 yards, three receptions for 23 yards, Maybe not the game that we were thinking here with, uh, you know, an Eagles defense that can be run on, uh, a, a back-and-forth game. Um, what did you make out of the uh, the Chargers backfield? Nothing crazy, honestly. Just to have 17 of 21 carries, uh, Austin Eckler still very clearly the workhorse as they continue the Chargers to scratch the one running back that they aren't going to use that game. I really, like, we always try to pick up the contingency player behind the starter just in case one gets injured. Uh, I genuinely don't know if even the Chargers know, if Brandon Staley knows who the direct backup to Austin Eckler is. Uh, I think it'd just be a three-headed committee with all the backups active, and their roles would probably change depending on who has the hot hand. So I don't know if there's one genuinely to pick up ahead of the fantasy playoffs, if you whether you roster Austin Eckler or not. 
Otherwise, though, the only other takeaway for the Chargers is Justin Herbert hitting nine different receivers. Steven Anderson, a tight end, even used at fullback at times in this one. Uh, usage odd. Like, we haven't seen this over Donald Parham. We did see last week Donald Parham's routes cut significantly for Jared Cook. And Jared Cook was used similarly again. Still very clearly their lead tight end and doing just fine, no matter like what we want Donald Parham to become. Jared Cook is just fine. Whatever. He's a solid veteran. Uh, but Parham, yeah, still involved at least more than he was in week eight. That's the takeaway. Yeah, he scored a touchdown here. Yeah, um, good catch. Anything to say on, on Mike Williams? You mentioned Keenan Allen had a strong game, 12 for 104 and 13 targets. Williams had 58 uh, on five targets, gets two receptions. Um, so definitely kind of a quiet game for Williams. Uh, but, you know, as we know, he gets kind of targeted deeper downfield, sometimes very deep downfield. So not necessarily shocking that, um, you know, he might have a couple quiet games now and then. And Williams' production was basically one large catch. Again, Darius Slay covered. And we've seen now, as we continue sifting through what makes Mike Williams go, because he's disappeared at times, we look at the matchups where he's been shadowed, and that's kind of where he struggled, honestly. And uh, I think it was the case this game until Darius Slay suffered a hamstring injury. So we'll see what happens there. But that was pretty much what had happened for Mike Williams, that draped by Slay, Slay gets injured, then finally gets a big play. All right. John Daigle, thanks so much. All right, that'll do it for Week 9's Recap Podcast here on A Good Football Show. Make sure you're checking out all of the other podcasts we've got for you. We've got the Waiver Wire Show on Mondays. Daigle and I go live at halftime every week covering all of your Waiver Wire needs. Pat and Denny have a show on Tuesday. We do our two-part preview Wednesday and Thursday. Then we also have DFS Building Blocks with Daigle and Kyle Dvorak on Friday. We've got a preview show every Sunday morning. And, of course, next week we're going to be doing the Week 10 Recap Podcast. Hope to see you then. Thanks so much. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.